0: check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium, and of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Here's a little snippet by one of the authors from the anthology. My name is Shelly R. Johannes, and I am so excited I got to contribute to Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids anthology. My essay, I am not broken, today I'm okay, is about dealing with chronic illness. What I really don't have time for is getting sick so that I can binge Netflix and hide in bed. Sarasia Fennell and Zakia Jamal and Christina Ariola are contributors to Wild Tongues Can't Be Tamed, 15 Voices from the Latinx Diaspora. Sarasia, who is the editor of this collection, is a black Honduran writer and the founder of The Bronx's Reading. She is also a book publicist who has worked with many award winning and New York Times bestselling authors. She sits on the board for Latinx in publishing, as well as on the advisory board of People of Color in publishing. She lives in the Bronx with her family and dog, Oreo. Zakiya Jamal was born in Queens, raised in Long Island, and currently resides in Brooklyn. In other words, she's a New Yorker through and through. She holds a BA in English from Georgetown University and an MFA in creative writing, with a concentration in writing for children and young adults from the New School. She currently works at Scholastic as the senior manager of social media and has been published in Romper, BuzzFeed, People.com, Thought Catalog, and more. Her nonfiction essay about her Cuban imposter syndrome is published in this anthology. You can find her on Twitter at Zakia and Jamal. Christina Ariola is a reader, writer, and editor based in New York City. She's currently writing working in books marketing, but still loves to recommend books on Instagram and Twitter. From March 2016 to November 2019, she was the senior books editor at Bustle, and she ideated, assigned, and edited thousands of interviews, cover reveals, excerpts, reported features, essays, and more. During that time, she served as a judge for the 2019 PEN America Open Book Award. In fall 2021, an essay of hers appeared in this anthology. Welcome, everybody, to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm so excited to be with all three of you here today to discuss Wild Tongues Can't Be Tamed, which is edited by Ceresia Fennell. So welcome.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yay!
0: Okay, so three different amazing women here who wrote three phenomenal pieces, and Ceresia also orchestrated this entire collection. Seresia, why don't you start and talk about not only why you decided to bring all these essays together, but also what your essay is about and how you brought in all these lovely ladies.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The idea for this collection came together sort of during the time of the 2016 election where there were just lots of, you know, commentary about what the Latinx community, also the Black community, and just so many various other communities. And it just seemed like there were so many stereotypes and myths that were constantly being perpetuated. And so that was sort of the starting point for me, but really my entire life, I feel like (laughs) I haven't seen the representation across the diaspora. There's always one type of Latino or Latin or Latinx person that is in the forefront and they never look like me. They never sound like me. They never come from a place that I come from. They're usually not Central American. And so I started to think, you know, who can i pull together to sort of tackle some of these myths and stereotypes to subvert them but who are also the voices that, you know, aren't traditionally published, but that I know personally, like these two wonderful ladies here who have very specific experiences that I feel like lots of other people, you know, adults and teens have as well, where we, you know, grew up not really necessarily feeling as connected as, you know, other people to their specific Latinx heritage. And so I'm a Black Honduran and my essay in Wild Tongues Can't Be It's called Half In, Half Out, Orbiting a World Full of People of Color. And that title for me is very specific because I grew up, I was born in Brooklyn. I grew up in the projects there, and it was a very diverse neighborhood for me. So all of the people that were already around me were people of color. And so, you know, it wasn't until I ended up in foster care and I was placed in an affluent, you know, white family's home that I really noticed, like, oh, there's, there's a larger world <laughs> outside of my people of color bubble. And, you know, living with with that wonderful couple really started to raise lots of questions, right? Like I was going to a school where it was predominantly white students. And so of course, questions on the, on the playground are like, where are you from? Why is your hair like that? Or why do you talk like that? And so it was just all these various different things that were being thrown at me. And it sort of got me to, you know, ask questions and figure out where do I come from? And so that was my, you know, first experience with figuring out that I was different from other people in the world once I was, you know, removed from my environment. And then when I landed in the Bronx, which is, you know, one of the most diverse boroughs in New York City and is very largely immigrant, Hispanic, Latinx based, and folks just automatically assume like, where are you from? And, you know, my cousin is, is Puerto Rican and Honduran. And at the time she answered for for me, she was like, she's the same thing as me, Puerto Rican and Honduran. And so for the longest time I went around telling people that, but you know, my mom's like, actually, you're not Puerto Rican. like, her dad is Puerto Rican. So you're actually not Puerto Rican, but you're Honduran, you're black. And like, here are all the things. And so I started to ask all of these wonderful questions and really start to feel more connected to my culture and and my family. And even now I find myself still asking questions about certain traditions or like certain foods, certain practices. So it's a really a life, a life learning experience for me. It didn't just, you know, stop when I became an adult, like I'm still constantly asking questions. And I think for me, you know, I wish that there was an anthology out like this when I was growing up, something that I could turn to and read, you know, while tongues can't be tamed, where it's like, okay, here's an essay about mental health in the Latinx community. Here's an essay about alcoholism in, in in the community. Here's an essay about, you know, suicide ideation. Here's an essay about not feeling, you know, Latinx enough. You know, here's an essay about, you know, claiming Latinidad but not being able to speak Spanish I mean there's there's literally everything in this collection and that was sort of intentional because we even though you know people lump us together and will put us into the same bracket we each have so many different experiences and so I thought it was really important to showcase that you know like Christina is from Texas and and has like you know, wonderful, you know, rich connection with ghosts, which I'll, I'll let her speak about, but then like leaving home and going somewhere else and, you know, trying to navigate and figure that out. It's almost a parallel to what I went through, even though I was still in New York city, it's like leaving Brooklyn and and leaving my bubble and then going into, you know, this white family's home and then going into the Bronx and being in this different environment where we're constantly, seeing things reflected back at us about our culture or about the community. And then we're questioning, like, where do I fit in in there? Like, you know, where's my experience? I don't see anyone who looks like me or who sounds like me. Or, you know, I'm not Honduran enough because I don't know all of the traditions and all of the practices. So, you know, it's just various questions that I had for myself. But As I find the answers, I'm trying to record those things so that I can pass them down to my son and, you know, any future kids that I have and other family members so that we know where, you know, our our history comes from so we can define who we are. We can decide what parts of, you know, the Latinx culture we want to keep and the parts that we want to change, right? Because there are lots of things in the community that... (laughs) don't, you know, don't sit right with me. The fact that like, we don't talk about certain things, you know, like queerness or, you know, mental health. Like there are all of these things that's very taboo that we can't talk about in the community, but I want to break those stereotypes. I want to break those myths. And I want people to know that it's okay. Sometimes it's okay for you to go up against, you know, the, the age old family, family way, right? Like we don't have to keep those secrets. We don't have to feel shame if we want to seek, Therapy and something other than what is traditionally pushed at us, right? Wow.
0: So much much to say in response to that. First being your essay and the image of you like sitting on the edge of that couch, like what were you doing? Like biting your nails or your skin or there's some like repetitive gesture you were making waiting for your mom to call and the call is getting farther and farther apart and feeling like you've been kind of like set adrift in this family and latching onto the one friend who you finally found a connection with and then being uprooted again. I mean, oh my gosh, I was just like... It's amazing how much books in general people's stories can make you feel and that essay just I just so felt it. I was just so there with you and you lived through a lot of stuff and it's just amazing. The whole thing it was really fantastic, but so I wanted to say that. And per your point on diverse perspectives and queerness like the essay by Mark Oshiro by the way was amazing. And I've started this habit which is <laughs> Maybe this is, I shouldn't even admit this, but I read the books I'm reading now out loud to my kids because they inevitably fall asleep.
3: <laughs> oh, I
0: love that. <laughs> but they got really into these essays, which is the problem. So then they weren't falling asleep. So anyway, because it was like, how, you know, there's a seven-year-old kid and my daughter's like, just turned 8 and she's like oh now he's 8 now he's 9 you know <laughs> anyway so but i loved his perspective and you know coming into his own and you know his identity in so many ways and oh my gosh beautiful
1: so absolutely yeah it's was a awesome. fantastic piece it was i a agree <laughs>
0: Okay, so you guys have been quiet and you know patiently waiting your t- your turn here. I feel terrible. Okay, Zakia, so your essay was also amazing. Okay, tell everybody about you and your essay and, and everything else.
1: Sure. So I'm Afro-Cuban. My grandma is from Cuba. So when Cerise asked me if I wanted to be in this anthology, I was like, yes, of course. So the essay I first wrote was really about my grandma and like her journey here and growing up in Cuba and then moving here and I love that essay because I got to really sit down with her and talk about her experience and I learned a lot about her history but Sericia being the great editor that she is was like this is great but this is not you like this isn't your voice this isn't like your story so I really appreciated it because I think and even her saying that to me like I had to sit with that and I was like you know why did I feel like I couldn't tell my own story for this essay like I felt like you know my grandma had a more authentic story because she was like actually from Cuba and like she speaks Spanish so I'll tell that story that I was like really scared to kind of write my own because like I was like you know people obviously don't really look at me or look at my name and like think I'm Cuban and so I was like do I have really the kind of story that people are going to want to read in this like Latinx anthology that's all about being Latinx. And so from that idea of like just feeling like I wasn't enough, I started writing my essay which is called Cuban Imposter Syndrome and it's really about how I've struggled with this idea of not being Cuban enough. And so it kind of starts with me being in high school and there's this guy in my school who's Cuban And like, he's kind of shocked when I say I'm Cuban and like, that's an experience I've had throughout my life, but really also coming into my own and figuring out what being Cuban means to me. So yeah, it was very hard to write. But like I said, thankfully, Teresia is a great editor, but she pushed me through and I'm really happy with it. And I think this is really the story that I needed to tell.
0: I feel like this is just the beginning, right? You, I feel like you have a whole book in you. Teresa. (laughs) you gotta get on that. These should all become
2: books. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Definitely telling people, pull more, pull more. Exactly,
0: exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the image of you like on the schoolyard feeling completely unaccepted by someone who shared part of your heritage. It was so, I mean, all these things are so hurtful and alienating and how you even felt sort of dissociated from your name and how your name and you bring your last name and how your, how the, all of that came to be. It was really, I mean, it's all just very powerful and the way you write is, is truly beautiful. So, it, you know, we just finished watching, not to keep talking about my kids, but we just finished watching Vivo. Have you seen this movie Vivo by Lynn manuel Miranda? Yes! Yes, I have. And
2: one of the main characters is from the Bronx. The girl, I forgot her name, but the actress is from the Bronx. I was very excited about it.
0: Anyway, continue. (laughs) It's possible Nicole Byers is from the Bronx. I don't know. I don't know. But it was written, well, actually, it was written by Chiara Allegria, who also wrote a really great book about being, you know, her Latinx heritage. So anyway, for your next anthology, you should tap into her. But all to say, this whole story takes place in Cuba, but they call it Cuba. So I, when I was reading my kids' story, they, I was like, I have a whole story for you about Cuba. And so they were very excited about that too. So anyway, it's been all very timely. You should definitely go watch Vivo. It has some great songs and, you know, really captures how amazing a place and, you know, the culture and the vibrant colors and, and all of it, you know, as only an animated show can do, I guess. But
3: yeah. Okay. So Christina. Yeah. So I'm Christina. I'm Mexican American. And I knew when Ceresia approached me about writing an essay that I wanted to write about two things. I knew I wanted to write about El Paso because it's just such an incredible, mystical, mystifying place. And I just never see it reflected in literature or just very, very infrequently, especially from people who actually are from there and were raised there. And I knew I wanted to write about ghosts. And so the essay... Started very different than how it ended up. I had a similar experience where I, Sirisi really, really pushed me to go deeper and to really search for for those really tough emotions at the center of the story. And our phenomenal Flatiron editors, Caroline and Sarah, also were just so instrumental in in pushing me to get to this place. And the essay is about a lot of things. It's about being. Latina, it's about grief, it's about ghosts. And a lot of it is about how, you know, through my grief over losing my mother, I sort of came to a better understanding of who I was. And I think a lot of that had to do with me, you know, coming to an understanding about, you know, my identity and my cultural place in the world and finding that community. And so, you know, it's always tough when you sort of have these like big miraculous life moments because of something really terrible happening. But I always like to think of, you know, I'm a big Cheryl Strayed fan and she always says that your sorrow is your superpower. And I think that that is something that has really been true in my life. And I really wanted to reflect that in a way that felt true to who I am and where I come from. And I know that the ghosts, is it's sort of like a... It's not something that everyone gets, and I just grew up believing in ghosts. Like that was just like it wasn't like a supernatural thing. It was just a thing. Like my we were always talking about ghosts. My dad was always talking about, you know, seeing ghosts and you know trying to you know kind of erase that fear from the experience. And I think part of me coming to terms with my Latina identity was also coming to terms. With letting go of that fear and sort of just embracing the unknown, embracing things that are messy, embracing ambiguity. And so that's sort of what I was trying to get at at my essay. I feel like there's a lot more that I could say there.
0: Well, I mean, I feel like anyone who's had an experience with a medium can like attest there's like almost, I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say it's undeniable that there's something else out there, but I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say I'm not surprised. And I was very like hanging on every word because I do feel some people have this gift, right? Of this connection that the rest of us don't necessarily have. And it's really magical. And I totally believe it. If, you know, I believe that you believe it, you know, I believe it happens to you. So reading about it was really interesting. And for Cheryl Strade's quote, another author I had on quoted someone else who now I can't even remember who that is, but the saying is God never wastes a pain, which I love because it's like, gives everything sort of this sense of purpose, religion, notwithstanding, right. Just like the idea of it, that there's there was a reason somehow. Like, there you're not going to waste it, or you're going to turn it into something beautiful, or, or you don't have to, or whatever. But you know, there was some sort of logic to it, which I don't know. I find comforting when it seems completely the opposite most of the time. But wow. So, did all of you know? Did any of the authors know each other, or did you? Were you like the party planner extraordinaire here, so seriously? Did you introduce everybody, or is it mostly an email or? I feel like you're establishing this whole community now.
2: Yeah. So, you know, pre-pandemic, I-, I figured it would be really cool that I could probably meet up with some people and-, and chat through things. But of course, we were all riding through COVID, which was a very, very challenging time. And so, you know, I'm just so I just want to commend all of the contributors for even having the mental capacity to, you know, dig into for some of them, it was traumatic, right? So to dig into some traumatic memories, to write about them on paper, during a global pandemic, you know, I'm, I'm just floored that we were even able to finish, you know, the the anthology and like really bring the collection together. And so I personally had actually met every single writer at least once, except for Jasmine Mendez. So I've never met her in person, but, you know, she came highly recommended by Angie Cruz. I was already following her on social media. The Flatiron editors were also, you know, really big fans of her work and I just I read some of her other essays and I was just like she's she's perfect you know and so everyone else I had definitely had a connection with and just felt like they're the right person to write this this particular thing and so my process was to sort of You know, give each of the contributors the same parameters. You know, I want to talk about myths. I want to talk about stereotypes. I want us to talk about, you know, colorism, anti-blackness, whatever it is in the community. I want us to talk about it. I don't want you to bite your tongue. I want you to tell your truth. And so they they each were able to come up with their own pitches, right? To to sort of figure out what they wanted to write. And then I met with folks either virtually or we communicated through email just to talk about like which ones I felt really moved me and felt like it would it would be in conversation with some of the other essays in the anthology and then like Zakia and Christina said you know having that back and forth to say like okay this this is wonderful but I think you got to make it a little bit more personal so you, I need you to dig a little bit deeper because I think what's really special about this collection is, these are lived experiences. It's not fictional stories. And, you know, there's nothing right now out there for young people that particularly is tackling something in this way. We have a ton of fictional stories and I love fiction, but there's just something about knowing like, oh, this is memoir. Like there's an actual Afro-Cuban in the world who experienced this thing that I am currently experiencing. Or, you know, Here's someone from El Paso who also has a connection to ghosts. And so I don't feel like I have to have shame in hiding that or feeling othered by it. Instead, you know, Christina has the courage to embrace it. I can find the courage to embrace it. It's, it's just a different connection, I think, when it's, when it's nonfiction. And so I deeply encourage all of the writers to make sure that it was personal to them because, you know, it's what we were all hoping for when we were younger, to see these experiences so that we know like, okay, I am, you know, enough but just the way I am, whether I speak Spanish or Portuguese or I don't, you know, I think about Natasha Diaz's poem and just how most Brazil people from Brazil are, you know, really sexualized or like, you know, are told they're sassy and and sassiness is also like, you know, a Latinx stereotype as well. They're like, oh, you're sassy. and like, we may joke in the community, like, yeah, I'm sassy, I'm fierce, but, you know, it can be dangerous when other people outside of the community are classifying us with these terms and identifiers. And so her poem, I was just like, yes, like, let them know, you know, like, (laughs) like, don't call me exotic. Don't call me this. It, It was just so deep personal. And I think that was really special for me because I got to sort of take a peek into everyone's life and to learn a little bit more about their own experiences. And in a way it sort of validated my own, you know, with, with my own struggles of feeling, like I said, I'm orbiting a world full of people of color, but I can still feel disconnected sometimes. And so reading and editing these wonderful essays just kind of made me feel like, my, my place in the world was a little more cemented. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly what I want other people to feel when they read this book. And, you know, even if you're not from the community, I want them to think, like you said, you were reading to your children and they were like, oh, wait, you know, like, you know, Marco Shira had this experience at eight or nine. And so I want, that's great. Like, I want them to think about those things because they're living that right now. You know, I'm sure they're going to school, or they have friends that are asking them, well, why are you wearing your hair that way? Or why did your mom, you know, make this for lunch? And like, these things just come up. And it's just so wonderful when we can arm young people with the with the tools to answer these things. So they're not dumbfounded like me where I'm like, I don't know, what am I like, where am I from? I don't know. And like waiting for my cousin to answer it and then looking to her because She had, she just seemed to have all the answers for me. I was like, my prima, if she's saying I'm this, then that's what I am. She's right. And so, you know, I, I, I hope that people read this and, and they start to like really come in to embrace who they are. And, and to also know that like, it's okay for you to feel
0: disconnected. It's okay for you to still be figuring it out. I'm still figuring it out, you know? So, yeah. Well, I think what you set out to do, you've totally accomplished. I am a huge essay lover, and I actually produced two of my own anthologies also during COVID. And this one is like coming out soon. Moms I don't have time to have kids. And, you know, it's about experience, not this is more about like time starved, busy people, whatever. Lots of different, it's not about identity so much as what's on our plates, right? Because there's lots of different identities represented in the book and in the first book. But that, idea of like bringing together different people's experiences around a certain theme, I think is super important as we all sort of struggle with how to make our way through the world. And there's sort of nothing more powerful. I mean, you can take, you know, you could say something about the Latinx community in general, but when you get an inside peek into the lives of a few people, it changes everything, right? There is no descriptor that could possibly even try to describe an entire community or of any kind, right? And so anyway, and as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, it would be so neat if I could get like all the contributors for my two anthologies, which, and then all of your contributors. And then like I interviewed Glory Edom and she wrote Well Read Black Girl and she had all her contributors. And I've had like two other anthology authors that I could think of. Anyway, I feel like we need to have an anthology party where we have everybody. Right. Because everybody's stories are so interesting and they're all right out there. And we're just, all, everybody just connects on this level. That's so much more important than everything else. When you hear their story, I think, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I would love that. Please
2: let's do it post COVID. So, like, yeah, so like we can like mingle in
0: person. I mean, I'm sort of wondering is there a post COVID at this point? But yeah, I'm thinking vaccinated party, or I'm not kidding. I I like to do bring people together. So, oh,
2: please, I I will be
0: there. Okay. So, I think we have vaccinated party. Here we go. (laughs) Okay. Okay. There we go. Amazing. Well, thank you guys for coming on Moms No Time to Read Books. Thank you for being so open and both of you, Christina and Zakia, for rewriting your essays and really digging deeper than you originally felt comfortable doing because the result was really great and memorable and poignant and just really wonderful. And thank you for helping me with my kids' bedtime night after night. That's the great thing about essays. You can read one a night and like, you know, it's, you're not trapped in a book with, you know, never ending whatever. You get like, Anyway, so I loved it. I'm so happy this book exists and I'm glad I read it and that I met all of you. So thank you. It was awesome. Yay.
2: Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank us. you so much. All yeah.
0: right. Okay. okay, We'll take care. And I'll send out a paperless post. I'm not even kidding. I will like coordinate with you at some point and maybe in the next, you know, 2022, we'll have a party. Sounds good to me. <laughs> okay. All right. Excellent. All right. Take care. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.